Well, I've got some good news for you guys this morning. I have less pages of notes than I had last week. So, Lord willing, this will be a much shorter message. I say that every week. But uh, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna pray for the best here. So, as a way of recap here, we are in the book of Exodus. This is our third week in the book of Exodus. Uh, the first week, we looked at the person of God. We saw that God is righteous, that he has a regard for his people, and that he desires a relationship with them. Um, so that was Exodus or chapters 1 through 6 here. Um, then we looked last week at Exodus chapter 7 through 15. We didn't quite get to 15, uh, but we saw the power of God. We saw his message to Pharaoh that he wanted his people let go. Uh, we saw the, the miracles that, that Moses and Aaron were, to, were able to perform before Pharaoh um, to prove to, to Pharaoh that God is the great I am. And Pharaoh hardened his heart. So then after that, we saw God's might and his mercy. Um, his might was poured out on the nation of, of Egypt there, but his mercy was shown to the people of Israel. We saw a clear delineation, distinction that God made in the middle of the plagues uh, between the people of Egypt and the people of Israel, um, that they were his chosen people. And then finally, uh, we wrapped it up with, uh, with this idea of God's majesty, the truth that he is majestic, the truth that he is worthy of our praise. And this morning, we read from chapter 15, which is Moses' song to God, declaring how great he is. The song talks about the greatness of the Lord, the might of his right hand, that he is a man of war and he is able to destroy, utterly destroy his enemies, even the most powerful enemies. He is more than capable to deliver his people. And that's where we are this morning here. The people have left Egypt. God has sent them out from the land here. He has caused them to stink in the, in the nostrils of, of Pharaoh here. Um, he has caused the people of Egypt to basically push them out of the land. And on their way out, the people of Egypt have given them gold and silver and everything that they could possibly want. It's, the Bible says that they utterly plundered the Egyptians. And they get to the Red Sea, and Pharaoh changes his mind. He comes after them. God moves around the people and gets between the, the armies of Egypt and the people of, of, that he has chosen. And he says to Moses, stretch out your hand. And Moses stretches out his hand. The Red Sea parts. The people of God walk through on dry land. And after they get through, God allows the army to enter into this dry land that will not be dry for much longer. He causes a wind to come and the waters fall on the entire army of Egypt. And Egypt is left ruined and destroyed. And we have our people here. We're going to pick it up in, uh, in chapter 16 here. So if you want to turn with me there, if you have your handout, you'll see our big idea for today. Our big idea is that the precepts and word of God reveal the heart of man and the Lord's perfect plan. Now, what is, a, what is a precept? Who knows what a precept is? Anybody? Is John Vinci here today? John, do you know what a precept is? Yeah, something with the law, right? I mean, I just, I looked for a lawyer here, right? It's something to do with the law, right? It's a rule that needs to be followed. It is a decree that is handed down that must be followed. We're going to see the laws of the Lord today um, and how they reveal the heart of man and the Lord's perfect plan here. So turn with me to... Um, Exodus chapter 16, and we're actually going to back up a bit here. We're going to look at the first instance of the people here starting to, we'll say, get a little uncomfortable after God has delivered them from the land of Egypt. Uh, chapter 15, verse 25 here says, And he cried to the Lord, 
And the Lord showed him a log and he threw it in the water and the water became sweet. So we have to back up even further. What happens? Well, the the people of Israel are are walking for three days. And I don't know if any of you have ever walked for three days, but I imagine in the desert walking for three days, you would get thirsty. And what do the people do? They start to grumble and complain. And they complain to Moses and Moses cries out to God. Now they've come upon water and there's, there's water right in front of them. They can see it and they try to drink it, but it's bitter. So Moses cries out to God and says, God, what do I do? What do I do with these people? And God shows him a log and he says, hey, listen, toss that log in the water and the water will become sweet. Continuing on there, the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. And there he tested them. That's going to be very important uh, as we continue here. Saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice, the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the disease on you that I put on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord your healer. So we have our first instance of, of the people of God uh, after um, the Red Sea here. They've already complained once right before the Red Sea that, uh, that God had brought them out in the wilderness just to kill them. They thought they were going to die by the hand of the Egyptians. So they've already complained once. They walk for three days. They find some water. The water can't be drank. Um, and, and they complain again. So we, we think to ourselves, okay, they've, they've got it out of their system. Um, God has said, listen, I am your God. I am your protector. I am your provider. And now he has said, I am your healer. If you obey me, if you listen, if you, if you walk in my ways, in my statutes, if you turn your ear towards my word, I will not put any of the diseases on you that I put on Egypt. And this is going to start a process with the people of Israel here. They are going to continually be tested and tested and tested. And we're going to see today how they fare. And I might even give you a little spoiler alert here. Spoiler alert. They don't fare very well. Okay? Um, we'll see. Uh, chapter, chapter 16, verse 1 here. So they leave that place, they set out for Elam. The whole congregation of the people of Israel came into the wilderness of Sin. No pun intended there. The wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, What? Would, would that we had died at the hands of our Lord in Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to our full. For you have brought us into this wilderness to kill us, the whole assembly, with hunger. Our first principle that we see here is we are going to see God's word come up against man's complaining heart. Man's complaining heart. God's word versus man's complaining heart. Verse 4 continues here and he says, The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven on you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they walk in my laws or not. I think, I think we have to ask the question, like, why is God allowing his people to get thirsty and to get hungry? Why, why doesn't he have the, 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 the foresight or the benevolence or, or the, the mercy on these people to say, listen, I, I know that you're walking in the desert. I know that there's not going to be animals to kill in the desert or, you know, veggies to eat in the desert because it's the desert. Why does he do this to his people? Why does he cause pain and discomfort to these people? Well, he says it here. It is to 
test them to see whether they would obey his word or not. You know, the, uh, the Bible is a, an amazing book. Um, part of what we're doing here is we are, we're trying to see this narrative and how Exodus fits into the entire Bible here. Um, and we've said, hey, Genesis is kind of the book of beginnings. Um, it tells us how sin came into the world and how sin affected this, uh, this, this, well, this, this family first uh, that God chose. Um, and now we're seeing how sin is affecting this entire nation, how they've been placed in bondage, and God has delivered them out of their bondage of slavery. But God starts to give them rules here. And he says, listen, I am going to give you bread and I'm going to provide water for you. But this bread that I'm going to give you, I have very specific requirements of how you're to gather this bread. And this is all part of a test that I'm giving you. And what he says to the people of Israel is, listen, each day, every person can go out And they can collect a certain portion for themselves. Do not collect any more. Do not try to keep it overnight. What do the people do? They go out. They collect bread. And guess what? Some of the people try to keep it overnight. What did God say? Don't do that. The manna that they try to collect overnight, guess what it does? It starts to stink it starts that there's worms coming out of it. If they keep it in their house, their houses, or keep it around their, their, their campsite here, uh, the, their campsite's going to stink, and you're going to have bugs in your campsite. Nobody wants that. God said, listen, only collect a certain amount each day. The people go out, the people who gathered too much, guess what? They eventually come back, and they realize, oh, I guess I didn't gather too much. I have just enough. The people who don't gather enough, guess what they realize? I have enough. See, the gathering was a test. But God is still providing for his people, even though their hearts are disobedient, even though they have these complaining hearts. The word of God is still true. He is still providing for his people, even though they are disobedient. So God goes on from here and he he gives them another statute, another principle, another precept of the Lord here. And he says, listen, I'm going to give you a gift. On the seventh day, you don't have to go out and gather. I'm giving you a day off. How many of you like a day off? I love a day off, right? Day off's great. Um, when, When I get a day off, everybody knows what I do when I get a day off. What do I do? I go fishing, man. I go out and stand in a cold river, miserable, and try to catch something, um, you know, that, that I'm, going to, I'm going to enjoy here. But God gives me a day off every once in a while. And I, I take it. He says, listen, because on the seventh day, I'm giving you a day off here to rest, to keep holy, for you to be able to rest and focus on me on the sixth day. I'm going to do something special. I'm going to allow you to gather twice as much. And you can actually keep this overnight. So that you will not have to go out on the seventh day and gather. And what do you think some knuckleheads do on the sixth day? Well, they go out and they collect twice as much. And they have it in their home. They've got enough for the sixth day and the seventh day. So they get up on the seventh day, and what do they do? Exodus chapter 16, verse 27. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you a Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain in your place Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. You see, guys, the word of the Lord is given for a reason here. It is given to test the people, to reveal their heart, to show the people that, listen, by nature, you guys are sinners. I will give you a commandment. 
a simple commandment. I will give you a commandment that is going to benefit you. And what are you knuckleheads going to do? You're going to go mess it up. You're going to go work on a day that you don't have to work. I am blessing you here. But your heart is rebellious. You do not obey the word of the Lord. How long? You get the impression that God's like, listen, I, I, did you see what I just did? Like, not only did I bring you out of Egypt, not only did I utterly destroy that nation, but now I'm providing food for you. And still you feel like you have to go out and do your own thing. I want you to rely on me and my word and not yourselves. God desires obedience, but the people complain and rebel. They go on from here and they, uh, they, they get thirsty again. Uh, Moses uh, goes and cries to God and God provides miraculously water from a rock. But we still have these these complainers. You know, I started this statement uh, a second ago here, but, but why? Like, why does God let them get hungry and thirsty? You know, one of the great things about looking at a large portion of scripture here is that if you keep reading, God eventually gives you the answer. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter eight. Deuteronomy chapter eight. Verse one says, "The whole commandment that I give to uh, that I command you today shall you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply, and go and to possess the land the Lord swore to give to your fathers, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these forty years in the wilderness." We're going to stop there for a second. We're at the end of the journey here. The people are about to enter the land. God has tested them from the beginning and now he is going going to go back and he's going to say, hey, remember my laws and precepts that I gave from you from the beginning. As simple as manna. Do you know why I did it? He continues on here. He says, that I might humble you, testing to know what is in your heart, whether you will keep my commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger. And fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then... In your heart that, the man, that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. See the issue with the people of Israel here. It's their heart. They have a complainer's heart. All of us to a point have a complainer's heart. I used to joke around with, uh, I still joke around with my family, um, but I have a saying in my house, there's only one thing that's contagious 100% of the time, and that's complaining. Because what will happen is Billy will do something to, to Ryan, and Ryan will come upstairs and she'll complain, and now I have to listen and, about her complaining about, about Billy, and then I'll go to Julie, and then I'll complain and be like, man, we got to do something about Billy, because uh, Ryan was complaining to me, and then Julie will get on the phone, and she'll call, you know, Beth, and then she'll tell Beth, you know, oh, my kids are out of control, they're crazy, and this complaining chain just keeps going. It's contagious, and the people of Israel are stricken with it. And God says, listen, I'm going to let you get hungry. I'm going to let you get thirsty so that you, this prideful, stiff-necked nation, so that I can humble you and show you the condition of your heart. 
you know, it's, it's difficult sometimes to go up to somebody. Um, actually, it's, it's difficult to convince them this way. We can go up to people and we can say, hey, you're a sinner. You're a sinner. Uh, people who don't know the Lord, most people who don't know the Lord, are probably going to fight you on that a little bit. Well, you know, I'm not, I'm not like a murderer. <laughs> you know, I, you know I, I'm faithful to my wife. I love my kids. I think I'm a sinner. That's a little, that's a little harsh to, to tell someone. There's a difference And God uses that difference here between merely just telling the people that they're sinners. He actually shows them that they're sinners by testing them. He says to them in the wilderness, listen, people of Israel, you think that it is bread and water that sustain you? The the, the food that is scarce and goes bad? The water that is scarce and sometimes tastes bitter, that's not what sustains you. God says here in Deuteronomy, he says, listen, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from God. This is the lesson that Israel was meant to learn. You're not sustained by the things you can see, touch, and feel or whatever, see, touch, hear, and feel. You're not sustained by those things. You are not driven by your belly. You are not to be driven by your lust. You are to follow me and my word. But the people of Israel settle, and they settle for their comfort, for the condition of their heart, rather than the word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Is this the only time that we hear this phrase in Scripture? No. When do we hear it again? Jesus, right? Where's Jesus at? Wilderness. Where are the people of Israel? Oh, wilderness. Huh. Jesus, Jesus hungry? Oh, yeah. He's been fasting for 40 days. I'll bet you he's hungry. And he's tempted. And Satan says, hey, see these hard things down here? See these rocks that are everywhere? Turn them into bread. Feed yourself. You have the power. Just do it. And Jesus turns to Satan. He says, I'm not sustained by bread. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Oh, that we would have the same attitude, right? Oh, that we would have the the ability to have the same attitude. See, this Jesus would go on from here and take it a step further. He would talk about, in John chapter 6, manna from heaven. We just went through John last year. We talked about these verses. Manna from heaven. That it was given from God. It wasn't given from Moses. God sent the manna. And Jesus makes a distinction and says, that manna is no longer there because it passes away, but I am the bread of life. You eat of me and you will never hunger. You drink of me and you will never hunger thirst. These stories here that are in Exodus, guys, they are part of a bigger narrative of the entire Bible. There are no mistakes with God. Some of you may think, we're, we're going to talk about the law here in, in a second. Some of you may think when you read the Bible that it's God kind of just redirecting things and, and managing things and keeping these all these you know, plates spinning or all these balls juggling in the air. The truth is, God is completely in control the entire time. He knows exactly what he's doing. He does not change. The story is the same story from the Old Testament to the New Testament. He is constantly revealing things about himself to his people. And here we see that he is testing his people 
to see where their heart is. And they've proven that their heart is calloused. Our second point here is that God's word clashes against or goes up against man's calloused heart. His calloused heart. Now we've already talked about this a little bit, right? Um, what does the word calloused mean? Somebody's rubbing their hand, right? I, I've often told you guys that my wife, my wife makes fun of me because I, I have the softest bottom of the feet in, in the history of, of a 42-year-old man. Okay, I have the softest feet in the world. Um, and it's because I grew up in the city and we just didn't, you didn't walk around barefoot in the city or you died, you know. Um, but we, you know, we, we, we didn't. I have no calluses on my feet whatsoever, okay. I have all of these foot problems. That's why I'm wearing these cool shoes here. Um, because my feet are soft, okay. I am a soft person. I'm not afraid to, to admit that to you today. Um, but my feet are, are soft. They're not calloused. The opposite of soft is hard. See, the people are going to discover that their heart, it's hard. It's not only a complaining heart, but it's a calloused heart. And we're going to talk about the law here now. Uh, We're going to skip a few chapters. Um, uh, Some things happen. God miraculously, uh, miraculously um, gives the Israelites a victory over, a, I almost said a, a word that kids shouldn't say, a very silly king um, who hasn't uh, obeyed the, or heard about what the Lord has done in, in Egypt here, and he thinks he can wipe out God's people, and God says, no, I'm bigger than you. He wipes them out. Um, Moses uh, is listening to all the complaints of the people in chapter 18. Uh, His father-in-law comes along and says one of the greatest lines that a father-in-law can say to a son-in-law, what you are doing is not good. Um, And uh, gives him a a different way of of looking at things and, and Moses sets up the people in a different way so that he is not as burdened by the people. But we talk about the law here. And when you start to read the law, Here's what you need to understand. Um, The first five books of the Bible are called the Torah, okay? Moses wrote these five books. They're often referred to as the books of the law. But as we see in Exodus, it's not just a list of laws. It's stories and then laws. And then the people of Israel being knuckleheads. It's stories and then laws. And the people of Israel being knuckleheads. And it's stories and then laws. And then people being knuckleheads. There are 613 laws in these books. In the book of Exodus here, between chapters 20 and 23, we get just over 50 of those. Okay? 50 laws here. And we're going to start reading in Exodus Chapter 19 here, verse 1. And on the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the day they came into the wilderness of Sinai, they set out for Rephidim uh, and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, When Moses went up to God, the Lord called him out of the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenants, you shall be a treasured possession among the people for the whole earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So God uh, brings the people out of the wilderness. They travel for roughly three months and they come to this mountain 
in verse in chapter 19. This mountain is the climactic moment of this book. This is where everything changes for Israel. Yes, they have been delivered. Yes, they have been wandering in the wilderness here. But at Sinai, they are going to receive something that they did not have. And that is the law. They are going to begin to receive the precepts of God. And in looking at these precepts, they are going to reveal the heart of this stiff-necked, complaining-hearted, calloused-hearted, corrupted-hearted people. But God says a few things to him, uh, to Moses here, to tell the people. Uh, Verse four is very interesting. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. What is this? What would we say this is? This is salvation and deliverance. Okay, salvation and deliverance. God said, listen, I heard, I did. I did it by my power. I saved you by my mighty hand. I bore you on wings like eagles. I am the one who did the work here. The second thing he says, he says, if, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, And keep my covenant. See, God demands something of the people here. He says, listen, by my wondrous works, I brought you out of Egypt. And if you will obey me, if you will listen, if you will turn your ear to my words. This is obedience. What is obedience? Obedience is willingly participating in the will of God. Willingly participating in the will of God. So God says, listen, by my power and might, I brought you out, by my works, if you change your will to match mine and walk in obedience, I'm gonna bless you. And he tells them three things that he's going to do. He's going to make them a treasured possession. He's going to make them a kingdom of priests. And he's going to make them a holy nation. Great blessing is the result. It's simple, right? Can they do it? Can they obey his word? Can they follow his precepts and laws? They think they can. Continue reading here. Exodus 19 verse 7. So Moses came and called the elders of the people who set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded them. And the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Spoiler alert again. They did not. But they think they can do it. And Moses reported the words of the people back to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. God is going to start to establish something here with his people. He's going to start to establish a covenant. A very special covenant with his people. And he says, if you obey me, there will be these three great blessings here. And the people say, I will. And God said, okay, go gather the people because I'm coming down. In three days, I'm going to come. And what you need to do with the people, Moses, is you need to get them ready for me to come. They need to consecrate themselves. They need to wash themselves. They need to prepare themselves for the coming of the Lord because God is going to descend down on this mountain. Exodus chapter 19 verse 16. On the morning of the third day there were thunders and lightning and a thick cloud of the mountains and it was very a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. So they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. That's kind of weird. 
right? I mean, listen, there's a great trumpet blast, right? So much so that the people of Israel are like, oh my goodness. We knew something was going to happen, but was it this? Does it say that Moses, kind of like we did last week with our kids here, did Moses kind of lead everyone up and, you know, and they all got in a nice line here and get ready? No, it says they took their stand. What does it mean to take a stand? Oh, you're ready for a fight. I mean, you're, you don't know what's going to happen. You're like, okay, I'm, I'm excited. I'm a little nervous. I'm excited. I'm a little nervous. The people have no idea what's about to happen. They are scared out of their mind, and they're kind of like, all right, this is where we're supposed to be, but we're going we're gonna to kind of take a stand here. Again, revealing the condition of their heart. These complainers, these hard-hearted people. Verse 18. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it with fire. The smoke went up like the smoke of a kiln. We'll talk about that in a second. And the whole mountain trembled greatly. And the sound of the trumpet grew even louder and louder. Moses spoke. And God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called to Moses from the top of the mountain and Moses went up. Smoke like a kiln surrounds the entire mountain. Do you guys remember, we've talked about it both weeks here, Genesis chapter 15, when God made a covenant with Abraham, what walked through the fire by itself? A smoking cauldron, a pot. Fire and a flaming torch came through. And what we see is God descending on Mount Sinai here in a similar way that the people should be reminded that this is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the very same God that made this covenant with Abraham is about to make a covenant with you. And he's coming down. I don't think there's any mistake of trumpet blasts here. I think not only is this pointing to the past, it's also pointing to the future. The more immediate future when the people of Israel would march around a city and then blow trumpets and the walls would would fall down. But also, the second coming of our Lord. When the Lord comes, there is fanfare. There is fanfare like the world has never seen. And Israel is witnessing this right before them. The glory of the Lord comes down and descends. Now here's something interesting. God speaks to Moses in thunder. The people of Israel hear thunder. What does Moses hear? The word of God. God is going to start to make distinctions in the people here. He's going to reveal whose heart is softening towards him. The people of Israel, they're not making the cut right now. Moses, he's making the cut. Why? Because Moses has faith. How were the Old Testament believers, how were they justified? By faith. Not by their works. See, as God gives these 613 laws, what they are supposed to reveal to Israel is that they can't keep all of these laws because of their heart and who they are. Turn with me to chapter 20 here. Let's read through the the first of these 10 commandments here. Chapter 20 and verse 1, And God spoke all these things, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness or anything that is in heaven above that is uh, or on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God. 
and I am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers um, on the children and the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the Lord, the, uh, the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your sons or your daughters or your male servants or your female servants or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in these six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Verse 12, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. 10 things he gives here. Ten rules he gives. And what he's going to do from here is he is going to expound on these rules. All of the law, the 613 laws that he is going to give in the Old Testament are all based off of these ten commandments. And the people of Israel are going to look at these commandments and they are going to say to God, I can do that. Not just now, but even into the time of Christ. Remember the young man who comes to Jesus? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus gives him a list and he says, I kept all those. I've kept all those since I was a youth. See, Jesus is going to look at these Ten Commandments and he's going to say, you are looking at the physical side of these things. At the outward side side of these things. And he's going to preach a sermon on a mountain that expounds even more on these. And what he's going to tell the people is it's not just the outward appearance of keeping these Ten Commandments. It is what is inside your heart that really matters. See, the Word of God reveals the calloused heart of people. In these laws that he gives from chapter 20 to chapter 23, he is going to constantly be prodding at the heart of man because guess what? The heart of man's default is to rebel, is to do what man thinks is best. And God is constantly saying, obey me, follow me, trust in me. I am your provider. I am your banner. I am your healer. I am your sustainer. They keep hardening their heart to all of this. The laws that continue from here, um, God talks about uh, how to build an altar. Um, He talks about what to do with slaves. He talks about restitution. He talks about wronging people um, in different ways. Um, He talks about fornication. Um, He talks about the Sabbath and festivals. He gives them all of these laws that are designed to help them function as a nation as followers of God, designed to do three things. The problem is, I'm sorry, designed to receive three blessings that we already talked about. A treasured people, a holy nation, and a nation of priests. The problem is, the law is designed to do something else. A few other things. Number one, As we said, the law is designed to reveal the heart of man as corrupt and calloused. We are supposed to look at the law and say to ourselves, you know what? I don't measure up. We are not to be like the people of Israel here. 
We are not to hastily say, we can do it, because they can't. Number two, it's designed that they can't keep it on their own and they would need a savior. See, it's not just the fact to show them that they're, they need to be humbled, that they need to be broken, that they need to do this, they need to do that. It's all designed to point towards Jesus. The fact that there would be a substitute atonement made for them that was the perfect law. Number three, and this is probably the most important one. We have to ask the question, why does God give rules? Why not just send a savior? You know, when Adam and Eve sinned, like why not just send the savior? Why not just say, you know what? We got a problem here. It's sin. I've said that if you sin, you're going to die and I'm going to fix the problem right now. Garden of Eden. I'm going to come down and I'm going to make the sacrifice. Why go through all of this? Why choose a people? Why create a nation? Why give the law? Because of number three. The law is, to sat, is designed to satisfy the demands of a righteous God for reconciliation. These are the demands. Sin has been committed. How are we reconciled to God? And all of those other things, they couldn't do. They needed someone to come and save them in order to justify the demands of the law. The people of Israel could never do it on their own. Remember what I said before, in these, in these five books here, we have stories, we have laws, and then we have Israel being knuckleheads, and we have stories, and we have laws, and we have Israel being knuckleheads, and they fail, and they fail, and they fail, and I know what you're asking. Did God set them up to fail by giving them the law? We'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> Actually, no, let's go. Let's go to it. Second Peter chapter one. Uh, I'm sorry, First Peter chapter two, the exact opposite of what I said. My dyslexia came out. First Peter chapter two. Verse one says, so put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and every uh, envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for pure milk, that you may grow up into salvation. For indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourself are living stones built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, this is important, through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, uh, I'm sorry, for it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So for the honor, the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stumbling block, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Now pay attention to this next part. They stumble because they disobeyed the word. As they were destined to do. You say to me, was it in God's plan? Was it in his design that the law would be given and the people of Israel would never be able to fulfill it? Absolutely. How do I know that? We keep reading. But you, church, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. What were the three things that God promised the people of Israel that if they obeyed their laws that they would be? A treasured possession, a holy nation, and a kingdom of priests. See, without a savior... 
They could never do it. It was impossible. There's a bridge between these two passages of scripture here and it's found in Ezekiel and we won't go there right now. I want to go there. Okay, go there. Ezekiel chapter 36. If you can find Ezekiel, go to chapter 36 right now. His words are better than mine, right? Ezekiel chapter 36, starting in verse 22. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O Israel, that I am about to act but for the sake of my holy name. Here's something important for you guys to realize here, okay? Look at me, everybody look at me here, okay? The people of Israel, the people of Israel, even though they were oppressed, even though they were in slavery, okay? They are not merely victims or refugees. They are first and foremost Dirty, rotten sinners with a hard heart that God, by his grace, chose for his glory. Notice what he says here. He says, thus says the Lord to God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which <laughs> you have proclaimed, uh, profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name which has been profaned among the nations and you have profaned among them and the nations will know that I am the Lord declares the Lord God when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes I will take you from the nations and gather you from all countries and bring you into your own land I will sprinkle water on you and you shall be cleansed from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And this is key, verse 26 here. This is what the people of Israel needed, but they didn't have. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and notice what he says here. He will cause you to walk in his statutes and be careful to obey all my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. Guys, listen, true obedience to the precepts of God requires a new heart. Our heart of stone can be replaced by a heart of flesh. But we can't do it on our own. See, the Old Testament, God gave them the, the law of circumcision, that they were to circumcise the outside. And in the New Testament, God would explain that, listen, you don't, own, you don't need to be circumcised on the outside. You need to circumcise your heart. Your heart needs to be circumcised. It needs to be chiseled away. You need to receive a new heart. The question we have to ask is, how do we get this new heart? Well, we learn here it's not by obeying the law. It's not by our works, our might. It's not by us being a good enough person. It's not by me just pounding my chest over and over again and saying, look how good I am. Look what I can do. I'm going to break this heart of stone that's inside of me. No, a perfect sacrifice needed to be made. True atonement needed to be made. The better Israel needed to come. Jesus Christ needed to come to this earth, fulfill the requirements of the law, and break our hearts of stone. He needed to be the sacrifice for us. We couldn't do it. He needed to do it. And when he died on that cross, our sin died with him. And for those of us who believe in the sacrifice, in the death, the burial, and the resurrection, the fact that death and sin could not hold him, those of us who believe in that truth are called sons. 
We are a precious possession. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We have been given a new heart by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit is what allows us through the work of Jesus Christ to follow his statutes, to follow his commands. We read back in chapter 19 here, three things. God saves at the beginning. Then he requires obedience from his people. And finally, he gives a blessing. This is the correct order of God's plan for salvation, for redeeming people back to himself. Legalism says, no, 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 no. Obedience first, then salvation, then blessing. The prosperity gospel just says blessings for everybody. You get a car and you get a, no. Uh, so that's, that's what the prosperity gospel says. But God has a different plan that he repeats and repeats and repeats all throughout scripture. I choose you. You walk in obedience. I bless you. I do the work. You walk in obedience. You walk in the spirit. Guys, why is it important for us to read Exodus and understand what Exodus is all about? It's because it opens our eyes to the full plan of God. And some of you are sitting here today and you're saying, listen, I don't feel like I have a heart of stone. I feel like my heart is pretty soft. I mean, I do nice things for people sometimes. Why are you doing the nice things? You know, when God, <laughs> when God says in, in Ephesians chapter 2 uh, that it, has been, it is by grace you are saved through faith and not of works so that we can't, we can't boast about those works. Guess what? That's, that's why he said it. So you just don't boast about your works. He goes on from there and he says, listen, even if you wanted to boast about your works, here's what you need to realize. That when God gave you a new heart, you became a new creation. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand so that we just Walk in them. The new heart that you receive, the new heart that you receive enables you to experience the abundant life. It enables you to walk worthy. But as we hear in Colossians and other books, there is this draw to go back. Don't go back. There's a draw to fall back into legalism. Don't fall back into legalism. Accept your new heart. Accept, accept your position as a holy priesthood, as a nation under God, a true nation, an ambassador of him. See, being a priest of God, I now have open access to God. Next week, we're going to talk about the rules and the presence of God. And how God's presence came down on Sinai here. We're going to end here. But God's presence came down on Sinai. But he needed somewhere that he could be with his people. And he's going to give Moses the instructions to build a tabernacle. So that God can be with his people. But your last point here. I know some of you are taking notes. Oh, see, I saw you, Selinda. Selinda's like, oh, he's going to, he's going to miss the last point here. In chapter 24 here, God is going to seal his covenant in blood with these people. And then he's going to call Moses up on the mountain for 40 days. And he is going to be with Moses for 40 days. The people will be without Moses for 40 days. They'll still see the smoke on the, on the mountain. They'll still see God up there. But what do they do? They wake Aaron up. Aaron, we don't know what's up with Moses. He went up. We don't know if he's coming down. Sir Isaac Newton wasn't around yet, okay? He went up. We don't know if he's coming down. Make for us a God that we may worship. See, God's word clashes against man's cheating heart. The good news for you and I today 
is that because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, I don't have to keep this cold, calloused, complaining, corrupt, cheating heart. That God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us and give us a new heart. Give us an abundant life. Allow us to renew our mind by what? Reading God's word. Can you imagine for a second those of you who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good going back? Don't go back. Those of you who haven't accepted Jesus as your savior yet, you've still got a heart of stone. You are just like Israel and even more dangerous, you're just like Pharaoh. You're trying to do it on your own by your own power. God says, I want to give you rest. I want you to put your trust in me. I have made the sacrifice that was required for you to be reconciled to me. The biggest issue that you have, I've solved. Come to me, all of you who are weary. I will give you rest. That rest is still available today. It was not a one-time offer. Turn to Christ. Accept the new heart that he is giving you and experience what true life is, what true fellowship with the Almighty is. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I thank you for your word. God, I thank